0: Hey, everyone welcome back to the last word on Sens podcast as always i'm your host alex metzger and today i have a really exciting episode here we're going to grade all the sense players management coaching and to do so brought in uh kevin lee kevin thank you so much for joining me man how's it going today
1: not too bad thanks for having me
0: yeah absolutely uh, i'm really excited to get to do this this is one of the um things i i've wanted to do for a little while but you know with a With a 56-game season, it doesn't really make sense to grade people halfway through because it's just such a small sample size, right? But, you know, now we've kind of – we've seen all we're going to see from this year, and I I thought what better time than now to, you know, just kind of go through and, and, you know, give give grades on what we thought – the player was so you know the best part about this is that everyone's subjective and you know um, I, I followed you for a long time on Twitter and I think that you're one of the perfect guests to have on for this because we don't agree on everything but you know there's obviously not going to be three hours of bickering back and forth either so um, with that being said let's just get right into it I, I think the easiest ones to get into are um, what I'm going to call the slam dunks in my opinion and again you can push back on this if you disagree but uh, I'm going to throw Josh Norris, Drake Batherson, uh, Alex formanton and I'll even say Shane Pinto, although he didn't really play. Um, for me, these are slam dunks. We can go through them kind of quick, but uh, to me, these guys all get at least an A grade. Uh, I think George, Josh Norris gets an A. You could argue an A plus. Batherson gets an A to an A minus ish. Formington, for me, gets an A to A plus. Basically, all three of these guys brought what we thought they might, and then more than that too. To the point where we're really excited for their future.
1: hundred oh, percent. Like it's just great seeing the young core take over and be that first line and really just give you that hope to the future that this is a team that's going to start competing in the playoffs. So I think I agree with your grades there. I tend to grade when I grade players, they're relative to what my expectations were heading into the season. So a guy like Josh Norris, I think for me, he's a slam dunk A plus. Like there's a guy sure he, he was like highly touted coming off like a rookie of the year in the AHL, but still, did anybody see him sliding into the first line role playing against, like, the Sidney Crosby's, the Conor McDavid's, and holding his own, like, that's just phenomenal for a guy coming up and playing his first year in the NHL.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, like people, including myself fully, I will put myself in this boat, thought that his spot was Logan Brown's heading into the year. And and not only did he outwork him for it in camp, he proved why he outworked him and just showed it all year. So I definitely agree. I think I would give him an A-plus as well. You know, um, Batherson, not quite as the same role. That's why I say I leaned at A-minus-A, but he's still – provided everything you thought he might. And then a little bit more to the point where it's, it's clear he's a top six forward. And I wasn't sure about that heading in the year. So that's why I gave him an A as well.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Like prior to this year, we saw like the flashes of Bathurst's skill in the NHL, but it just felt like he could do it all in the AHL, but he couldn't put the, he couldn't just put it together in the NHL. But this year he seems to have figured it out. I think I would agree with you and I would go to an A minus. I thought he started off the season really strong where he was like really noticeable a lot of time. he, from the eye test. He fell off a bit in the second half. Maybe that's just because of other players picking up the slack, but I found in the first half, he was probably one of the most noticeable players on the roster. And then in the second half, not that he was bad, but he just didn't stick out as much offensively compared to what we saw earlier in the year.
0: Yeah. And he had that huge goal streak right in the the middle slash early part of the year. And then, you know, he was scoring here and there, but it wasn't like, it was like something crazy eight or no, not, not quite, but it was like, I think it was eight goals in like 11 games or something like that. Like just scoring basically every night. And, you know, obviously Connor Brown went on a tear after we'll get to him, but um, I definitely think that's fair where it's like, he was one of if not the most talked about guys for about a month and then kind of tailed off. But when you look at the entire season as a whole, it's super impressive. and, And, you know, you definitely have to um, um, give it credit, credit where credit is due. Right. And, you know, so quickly all on Foreman into there too. Every time I watch Alex Foreman, I just think it's amazing watching him PK God, just so much speed. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. I think there's still more to give from him, but I gave him an A and again, just one of those young guys, you weren't really sure. And I, I really thought he killed it when he got the opportunity.
1: I think one of the biggest surprises for Foreman's is actually looking at uh, natural stat trick. And his five on five Corsi four was actually the lowest on the team at uh, 42.47%, which is quite shocking given he looked phenomenal, like you said, into the eye test. Of course, if you go look at his goal four percentage, it was 61.54. And this is where I think Corsi really doesn't play into what we see from him because he brings so much more value than five on five. Like, he's probably one of the most exciting penalty killers this team has now. Like, how many in his short stint with the Senators, how many like breakaways did we see on PKs? So I would agree with you there. And I would give him an A because this guy looks like he's going to be a big part of the bottom six going forward.
0: Absolutely. I think a theme going forward here is too, is, you know, trying to balance the advanced stats along with what we've seen, because, you know, it's definitely the, the, the course and expected goals is definitely a concern with, or. A, a thing you want to pay attention to with formanton because it doesn't mean he, you know, like you want him to, um, adjust and improve from there. And, but, you know, he's so young still that it's not like he doesn't have the chance to fix it or anything. So, you know, that, that that's really good too. Um, I don't know the best way to do this. I think I'm just going to go down from, uh I'll go from natural statric. I guess I'll pull. I just got their position grade up. So we'll start with the forwards and stuff like that. Um, and then transition to the D. Uh, so we already went through Josh Norris. Chris Tierney's the next name up on this list. Um, I'm going to give him a C. I just, I, he didn't do anything wrong this year. I just, you know, kind of got replaced by some of the younger guys as the year went on. I don't think he was bad by any means. He was more of just a placeholder. And to me, like C is just kind of that average range where he didn't do anything above expected, but it's just, it is what it is, you know?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Like Tierney is definitely a player who probably played below expectations of what people had from him. Maybe that's partly because he got a reduced role this year, like with so many young players coming in and, just uh putting up production it really just pushed him down the lineup like he was not getting any power play time anymore he's getting paired with bottom six players so i would probably give him a a c minus because i think i think even with the reduced role i think we probably had higher expectations that he played himself into a position where we couldn't even trade him at the trade deadline granted he still had a year left on his contract but i think if we had chris tierney of last year with one year left i think he's gone at the trade deadline
0: yeah, and that's totally fair. And you know, I I was one of the personal people who thought they should trade him last year, but you know, maybe they can still get something from him next year because he is a useful NHLer. But you know, how useful? That's that's the question. It's more probably a fourth line role. Uh, Colin White's the next guy I got on this list. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on it first because I'm very torn on my grade here. Uh, well, what do you give Colin White this year?
1: So, given I grade players like relative to what I expect going into the season, I didn't exactly have high expectations of Colin White like, given past seasons. I think most of the fan base agrees now he's not going to be that high scoring top six center. I think you're looking at him maybe settling into that third line center on a competitive team. And I think he did just that. Like he played in the law of the season with, uh, who
0: was it, uh, Nick Paul, he played, Nick I think Paul and, uh, Connor Brown was there uh, at times yeah, as well. They, they moved him up and down. Yeah, but... Nick Paul and Dad and all
1: that was it. Yeah, Dad and all you know, was like, a they, they produced a very They produced, I thought, as a very strong third line. They were third line that was still very responsible in defensive end. But with the addition of Dad and all on that line, they could cause some havoc in the offensive end. So I think he pretty much just exactly met what I had expectation-wise. So I'd probably give him a strong B.
0: Yeah. I think that's fair. I, I was running the B minus area. I think, um, you know, if you, I don't if you want to factor in contract, that's an expensive third yes. line That's three of three of one of the, the more expensive players on the Sens. And, but part of that is just because how many guys they have on rookie deals and cheap deals, you know? Um, so yeah, I would say a B minus B ish area. I I saw some people saying like they want to expose Colin White in the expansion draft or sorry, not even that. I would be fine with exposing him probably, but um, to the point where it's like, what asset would you give Seattle to take him? And I'm just not there with him. You know, I don't think he's I, he's good response. Like He's responsible defensively. He doesn't produce offensively, but it's not like it's it's not like he's not getting his chances or anything like he's just a fine third line center. And I, again, he's a little expensive for that price tag, but I I wouldn't give up on him, or, you know, actively give an asset up to get rid of him. So that's why I kind of go in that B minus kind of area where I think it was a fine season. It's, if you're, especially when you're factoring in price tag, it's a little less than you want, but it is what it is, you know.
1: hundred uh, percent. Like everyone probably agrees, now he's overpaid. But I think the big thing with Colin White is he is one of the more experienced NHLers on this very young team, and I think the value in keeping him around is if next year, heaven forbid, we get some uh, regression from some of the young guys, he's still a player that you can slide into the top six and he'll fit comfortably. And he's he's played against that top competition before, right? So he's kind of like your insurance plan if things go wrong.
0: Absolutely. And uh, wrapping up the, the, the true centers here from uh, Natural Statrick anyways, uh, I'll, I'll put these guys two in, in a thing. I wasn't really going to talk about Stepan much, and we don't we don't really need to, but Stepan and Anisimov, uh, give me your grade for those two guys.
1: So given I grade relative expectations, I had very low expectations of Stepan going into the year, just given what we saw from his previous stint in Arizona. So I would probably give him a C. Like he ex- exactly what we expected a-, a vet passes prime. He probably brought some leadership. He still has a bit of skill, but his skating is just gone. Now I think we would have liked a bit more production given given we were giving him top six minutes. So that was a bit disappointing, but really what were you expecting from Saban? And then Anisimov, I would probably give a B like even with his reduced role, he still put up eight points in 19 games. And for a guy that you expect to be a healthy scratch, I'd say that's pretty good. For expectations, and he took it all in stride, right? Like we never heard any stories I mean, he of Isimov complaining that he wasn't getting in the lineup or disrupting the locker room. And he seemed to be a guy that the like team really liked in the locker room, especially given that uh, goalie dress up that we saw.
0: Yeah, I was. That was probably not a highlight, but that was one of the funniest moments of the year. Just getting to see him, and you know, he had good humor about it. And yeah, I, I don't really disagree with those either. I think Stepans probably a C. I do wonder if the, how much the grade would have differed if he didn't get hurt. And I'm, You don't want to see anyone get hurt, but, um, you know, he was having a pretty disappointing season. But, again, it's like it depends who you ask, too, right? Because I feel like me and you were definitely lower just even at the time of the trade of why you even make that move. But, um, you know, some people might have had a little more expectations coming from Arizona. Like I saw people penciling him to the top six, and I just – I thought that was wild to begin with, and, and you know, it was pretty quick to see that that was not gonna happen but um yeah I, I think a c-ish is round and for Anisimov, I I think he makes some really good points I was gonna put him as CC plus but like I feel bad doing that because as you said he did he never complained about being a healthy scratch he only played 19 games this year but you know, and, and he just he did what he asked for it was the perfect I I saw it on Twitter and I think it was uh um trying to remember who actually brought it up I'm gonna see if I can find her I think it was sleeping Sleeping Bakker, um, or Baker, sorry, Sleeping Baker. I think it was him who said, it's not to Anisimov's fault. He just got passed by everyone on the depth chart because they have so many young guys. And that's probably the best way I could describe Anisimov's season, where it's not like he did anything wrong. It's just, he's Artem If You know what the ceiling is there, so you may as well play your young guys, right? So I think it's C plus, B minus is kind of where I have them. And, you know, it, it's not like it was a, you weren't disappointed with the season at all, but it's not like there's anything to rave about either. Um, let's go on to the wingers then. Cause you know, the, the next the next couple guys have one game played or under 10 anyways, I don't need to bring up Cedric Paquette anymore. Um, so let, let's get into the wingers, uh, start with an easy one. I think again, here too, he probably could have been in the slam dunk area, Brady Kachuk, who was, uh, caused quite the stir on Twitter today as well. <laughs> uh, if anyone, you know, has been paying attention to that being called uh, overrated by some, you know, some advanced metrics, uh, what would your grade for Brady Kachuk be?
1: I think it's got to be an A. Like, this year, I think, going into the season, I think everybody expected Shabbat to be named captain, like, probably 90% plus of the fan base. But I think this is the season we really saw Kachuk, given how young he is, still take over that leadership role, right? Like, he was making all the right comments to the media, taking in uh, Tim Stuula as a, a roommate, has got Norris living with him, too. Like, he's the guy that's helping develop these young players, right? And he's also a center... Or, pretty much leading that top line with Norris and uh Norris and Batherson right like this is a guy who's only a couple years in his NHL career and he's already probably one of the most beloved centers of all time like I don't think there's any players we can say that of like even Carlson I don't think had this much love after in his third season in the NHL so I think it's got to be an easy a like You could argue an A-plus even, but I think you're still looking for maybe a bit more offensive production to push into that A-plus range, but I think he did everything you expected of a man more this season.
0: Yeah, I totally agree, and that's where I have him as well, Um, you know. Uh, he's one of the few guys I really look for the off-ice stuff here where it's like, it's just a, a noticeable impact from just what we see on social media and stuff like that too. Right. And there's probably guys that, you know, have a bigger impact off social media or maybe have a worse impact off like whatever. Right. Or in, sorry. Yeah. Like when they're in person, but, Kachuk is one of the obvious ones where it's like that dude is captain. And and you know, I was one of the guys who thought Shabbat should probably be captain heading in the year. I thought, you know, maybe 50, 50, 50-ish. You know, I thought both of them had a pretty good, pretty good case for it, but it's it's Kachuk now. And, you know, I, I would argue that, you know, he's done everything he can. I would agree that, you know, to get that A plus, he's gotta have a bit closer to it. You don't need it to be point per game, but over a 53 point pace or whatever it is, you want to see a little more production. I do think that'll come. I, I'm not really worried about that. And, you know, I don't know how much you want to get into the, the Twitter stuff today. Uh I, okay. So here's my take. And just so I have it on, on air, I agree with the premise that, uh so if anyone didn't see it, it was Jay Fresh, he basically said he thinks the most overrated player is Brady Kachuk. I agree that he is probably slightly overrated by Sens fans um, and that analytics also definitely overrates him because the expected goals are through the roof. And he made a good point that he's like, my model loves him for expected goals, but it's just because he's jamming away at the pads, And that's not a bad point at all. But to phrase it as he's the most overrated player in the league is absolutely asinine to me because – the entire league laughed just a week ago when someone suggested he should get like $10 million or whatever it was. Right. It's like, yes, Sens fans probably overrate him a little bit. And honestly, if it's an eight year term, I would be totally comfortable giving him an eight by eight or something like that. And maybe someone says that's overrating him. But the fact that he said the the league, that's where it lost me. But um, I thought the discourse on Twitter today was a little insane because you, you range from people just calling him an idiot for something that's like Yes, I think he misphrased it, but there's a point to be had there. And then he also had people being like, Well, his cards aren't the be all end all. It's like, well, no, but that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying my card loves this guy, but I don't think I'm that high on him. And you know, it was just a weird day on Twitter, but I wanted to get my opinion out on that too, because it was just strange all around, really. Oh,
1: for sure. Kachuk's always gonna be a hard player to judge given he's not a high scorer as most like highly touted players are, but he plays that. I guess that hockey role, like he plays hockey the way, I guess most people picture a hockey player would play hockey. He's rough and gritty. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He's willing to drop the gloves, but at the same time, he's still putting up points. Like really it's one of those really hard players to analyze when it comes to on ice versus analytics, for sure.
0: Absolutely. He reminds me of Brendan Gallagher from, you know, from the Habs where it's like for years, it's like, analytics love the guy he's never been a huge point producer but you know he just when you watch him he's just a he's a pass b he's always in the middle and c he's a skilled player he's got the puck so um yeah i would give brady an a i don't think there's you know i I just i I would even the defensive impact on the model i'm really interested to see where that comes from because when i my personal eye test when i watch brady kachuk i just I don't see him being that big of a defensive liability, you know? Like, I don't think he's a Selkie nominee or anything like that, but I don't see him being actively bad. So to see that he had, like, a 2% in uh, goals above replacement defensively, I was a little surprised by that. But, again, it, it, it is what it is. Um, is. Let's move on to the next winger, then. I'm trying to mute myself while my cat meows. Uh, Nick Paul. Um, To me, this is uh, – I can go in a minus here, a minus B plus. I think Nick Paul had a really great season. Uh, he looks really comfortable on the penalty kill. Uh, he started pretty strong at five on five. He, he tailed off, I think a little bit by the end of the year, but he looks like a solid third line player. And we weren't really convinced. Oh, well, we weren't entirely sure that he was an NHL or heading into this year. So I think to have a bona fide really good third liner is a, it's a big plus to have coming out of here.
1: Yeah, I think I'm totally with you on that. Like he obviously had the strong finish to last season, which kept him as NHL to end the previous year. So coming into this season, the expectation was he would be able to crack the team and make it as he obviously did. And I think he definitely exceeded, I think, fans expectations of what he was going to bring coming into the season. He's really solidified himself, just like you said, as a third line reliable player. So with that, I think a minus is what I would give him. He's a player that when he's on the ice, I'm totally comfortable. Like, I think we're going to get great defensive play, strong back check. He's going to win puck battles. Now you'd like a bit more offense out of him probably, but he knows that's not his role. He's here to just win those puck battles and do the hard things. So I think we got that and more this season from him.
0: Absolutely. It's a classic that, you know, when he's on the ice and he has the puck, you're not going to see just some like whack mistake or anything like that right like it's he's gonna do what he's supposed to do with the puck he's gonna may, maybe make a safe play and even I thought a couple times this year that he made it like he, he showed more offensive spark than I thought he might have where it's you know, it's not like he's dangling anyone or anything like that. But I thought in years past he looked a little timid to, you know, drive the net or drive the middle of the lane. Whereas this year he wouldn't be afraid if he needed to to take the puck and yeah, and just drive through a defender, put it to the lane, and, and have a really good chance. And that's why, like, that's been the biggest improvement. He just looks comfortable playing, and I, I really liked what I saw out of him this year. Um, this was going to be a fun one. I think, uh, I, I'm interested to get your, your take on this. Cause this is another one where I think if you're going purely analytics versus eye test, there's going to be a huge gap here, but Tim Stutzla, uh, what were your expect, what are your expectations and your final grade for him as well?
1: So Stutzla's an interesting one. he comes in as the third overall pick highly touted, he's expected to jump right into the NHL. You could argue in like previous drafts, he might've even been like the first overall pick. So it's a really hard one for me to judge. I think he's, probably between a B and a B plus. So he, as ma- as many goals as he put up, I think some could argue you could have probably maybe expected more from such a highly touted rookie. At the same time, everybody knows that coming into the NHL as an 18-year-old in your first year is extremely difficult, especially just jumping up to the pace and not even having a preseason. So given he was able to hold his own in the top six, I think you'd, we're hoping for a bit more point production and just given how highly touted he was, but I'm hundred percent confident that will come. I would probably settle on a B plus for him.
0: I think that's fair. I'm going to give him a B minus, but you know, I kind of echo all the same sentiments. I'm not worried about him at all going forward. I think, you know, when I was doing this, I tried to factor in a little bit of my expectations, but also just kind of look at, you know, how good of a season this is. And I don't think this is a bad rookie season by any means, 29 points in 53 games you know, you're not disappointed with that. And then when you factor in the fact that no preseason, nothing like that. And, you know, he's a 19 year old who just turned 19. You're going to take a 45 point pace any, any day of the year. Right. And that's absolutely what I'll do. um The reason I bumped him down to a B minus, I think then it, it's, you know, it's funny. I, I do want to see the, I, I've talked about this a lot. I, I want to, see where the model kind of goes, you know, so wrong on him. His defensive impact was was very negative this year. And um, I, again, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. A young guys' defensive impacts are usually negative. Connor McDavid was negative for the first four years of his career. Um, Obviously, Connor McDavid was so positively offensively. He's still one of the best – the best player in the league. But, um, you know, with, with Stutzla, I think it'll come. But if I'm looking at just this year, that's why I think I keep him down at a B, B-minus range. And again, like if you have a B season from your rookie – who is the third overall pick? That's a very good thing to have because I, I would argue, you know, I, I bet you if you ask fans how Byfield' season was or Lafreniere's, they they probably wouldn't be that high on it. And um, you know, I, I liked what I thought Stutzel's uh, skill really flashed at times during this year. He, uh, I thought he developed chemistry as the year went on too, and you know, looked stronger on the puck as well. And I, I'm not worried at all. I just think you know, given his overall impact, uh, that's why I kind of settled on a B minus there.
1: Yeah, it's really the good thing you bring up the defensive end, because as we know, uh, DJ Smith was giving him very protected minutes, a lot of offensive zone starts. So I do agree that I don't think this was the season we're going to see his defensive game really bloom. Probably not next season either. But as you said, it's going to come like you can just see, like you said, as the season went on, you saw him get more comfortable winning more puck battles, knowing when and when he couldn't bring the puck up. I think next year will be a very exciting year for him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I, you know, I think that, you know, he, he feels like one of those players and obviously not everyone develops in a linear progression, but he feels like one of those players where it's like, you can, you're going to be able to see the improvement from year to year to year. And just like, um, you know, as an offside note too, just like, it's so fun watching him and Kachuk and Norris just clearly bond off the ice too. Like just all the little clips you get of them doing stuff together. It's like, man, it's nice to see that like this team actually enjoys playing together but also on and off the ice that they're just like buddies and you know i i think i don't always put a lot into intangibles but i think something like that will go a long way so that, that's always cool to see too right so um let's go to the next guy uh so unfortunately i didn't get to see him much in the past month or two but austin watson's the next on this list um i'm curious to see where you have him. i was very torn on this one i'm going to give him a B plus, but I think you could argue he could get into an A range if you're going heavier on expectations.
1: Yep, I had very low expectations of Austin Watson just given his previous advanced stats coming into the season, but he was putting up points. He was like probably the best penalty killer to start the season. So I do think you have to give him an A minus. Now, the thing that is really on my mind when it comes to Austin Watson, he looked really good on a bad team to start the year. Unfortunately, his injury happened would he still look really good on a good team that ended the year? That is my big question mark, right? Cause how often have we seen some players look great on bad teams and his team become competitive, they get pushed out. Are we going to see that from Austin Watson next year where he can't even stay in the top 12? I don't know. Cause we only got to see him when the team was bad. He never had to start competing with likes of like Foreman and those type of guys. So I am really curious to see how he's going to fit in next year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the biggest question is, you know, some guys will get a bump and, um, It'll be interesting to see, you know, the, the one thing I am encouraged by is that, um, well, I, I don't even know. Him. just like, I, I think that he could be just, you know, a, a fine fourth line, because even if he took a step down from where he was at the beginning of this year, I, I think that you're still going to get an okay fourth liner, which is more than I thought you would get at all. Like he is, his advanced metrics showed him as a non-NHL basically coming into this year or a 13th forward type guy. And um, he missed half the year. And he still ranks 14th among all forwards for defensive goals above replacement. Now that's just purely defensive. And obviously it's just fours. They have a a harder time making an impact at goals above replacement from, um, but like, that's still really impressive considering he played 20 less games than most other guys. And, you know, that's just how kind of good of a season he was having. So that's kind of where I I range on B plus and maybe this isn't fair to him because I think if you're looking at this one season, I think there is an argument for an A minus A there. Um, He he was definitely way above expectations. I'm a little hesitant, though, to to say that's what we're going to get next year for sure. Like, I I share your concerns of, you know, you put better players around him. Is he going to look as good? Is he going to drag them down? Like, I'm not sure. But, you know, this year, uh, if he plays like that for the next two years, his contract will be well worth it, which is not something I really would have predicted when they traded for him.
1: Yeah, so one thing I want to shine a light on is he had 39 blocks this season which is good for fourth on the sense, despite only playing 36 or 34 games. And he led all forwards with blocks, even with those 34 games played. And I think the eye test showed that, like how many pictures did we see of him throwing his face in front of a puck?
0: Yeah. He was just a super like gritty do it all for the team kind of guy. And again, like you can argue here and there what the impact of that is, but when you have a guy just, for the 31st place team, just so willingly to throw. Cause it was like, it's not like he was doing that in a playoff run. The team was one, seven and one or whatever. And he was still just willing to throw his body in front of the puck like that. So I, I do think there is, you know, at least some value to that. Um, Let's go to the next guy. And this is a guy they acquired from trade halfway through the year. Um, only played 29 games, which is where I would have guessed that uh, he played more than Watson, but he didn't, but it's Ryan Dezingle. Um. Here's to get your grade on here too, because I feel like if we would have done this halfway through the year, it would have been an A plus from everyone. He really, I don't think he had a goal in his last eleven games. Um, but you know, what was your overall thought on Ryan Zingle here?
1: So judging these players are always in, a player like Zingle, especially is always difficult, right? Like he's expected to come in and score goals, but he was given a fourth line role for most of his tenure here, right? And from a fourth line, you're not going to get the opportunities, mind you. He did get quite a bit of power play two time which I think we were hopefully for a bit more productivity from him on that. But I think given relative expectations of him coming in his role, I think you're looking at probably a, a C, a C plus. I'll go with a C plus because even when he wasn't producing, I still liked from what, what I saw in the eye test, like he was probably one of the hardest back checkers using his speed to get back and try to stop odd man rushes. So I really appreciate that. But given that, I don't think there's any point to bringing him back given all the youth that we have, but I wasn't disappointed with his stretch. So I would say a C plus.
0: It's right about where I was too. I didn't say C plus B minus, maybe a C like it depends how much, how heavy you want to uh, um, weigh those analytics too. Right. Like it's not like he was, uh, he wasn't dominating play or anything, but it's not like he was getting killed either. I, I definitely agree. I wouldn't bring him back. Um, if I would bring him back, it'd be on a very, very cheap one year deal. And you, he cannot be promised the roster spot. Like he might be the 13th forward if you bring him back and he's got to know that. Um, but I, again, like when, Considering they traded him for Cedric Paquette and Alex Galchenyuk, which both guys just did not have success in Ottawa at all, you know, Um, that's a big win of a trade. It's a small trade. Obviously, it's still a big win for the circumstances. And yeah, I I don't think you can, you can't complain from what Ryan Dezingle brought at all. I, I would have liked to see them flip him at the deadline, but Again, like, if it's for a seventh-round pick, you might have just got more value of him being a leader in the locker room or whatever for 20 games after the deadline. So I, I think C-plus-ish is a very, very fair grade, and that that's kind of where I had him too. Um, Connor Brown's the next guy. Uh, it's, you just uh, – I can't not give him an A. He honestly probably could have been thrown in with the uh, slam dunks because, like, it's so weird because I don't, like – think of Connor Brown as like this just dominant player or anything like that. But, you know, he was above 50% in Corsi four. Uh, He wasn't in expected goals, but you know, he just, the the amount that he scored at, I just can't, can't not give him an A for this season.
1: I'm fully on board with you there. It's gotta be an A like, I think it was five shorthanded goals. Like it's just crazy how many goals and sets the longest goal streak in uh, Sens franchise history. Now the thing is, of course, he was shooting close to 15%, which is almost double his usual shooting percentage. So I think then Sens have to real temper their expectations. Of the next year, he's probably going to regress a lot in the goal scoring department. That being said. I've always been a fan of Connor Brown, his play. He's just like Nick Paul. He's super reliable. He can penalty kill. He can shut opposition players down. And I think he's going to be a big part of uh, the defensive end for Ottawa in terms of being
0: competitive next year. Yeah. He just works so hard, you know, and you can, you can see that. And, you know uh, it's one of those things where, yeah, he's like, he was on pace for 30 goals this year, almost 31. It's that, that's not going to happen next year. Um, but it, it's funny too, because, For the first 20 games of the season, he was the dude who couldn't buy a goal. How many breakaways did we see him have on the penalty kill at 5-on-5? And he just – he, he could not score to save his life and he still ended up on pace for 30 goals, which is amazing. Um, Yeah. Th- I think this is the classic case of you give him an A this year, but yes, definitely temper your expectations next year. He's a third line player. You know, like I've seen people saying he's top six. He, he's not a top six player, you know, but what, what is cool is it's not like he's been playing top six minutes this whole time either. He, he did this production in, largely a third line role alongside, you know, Nick Paul and, you know, he, he alternated with dad He was up with Kachuk at times this year, but it's not like he was just playing all the power play one and all the first line minutes or anything. He did this in not a limited role, but it wasn't just him going running freely, you know? So um, that, that's the coolest part to me, but yeah, I would be very hard pressed to give him anything but an A.
1: Yep. And I think what's going to be interesting is what fans expect of him next season. Like personally, I'm going to have slightly higher expectations of him than I had coming into this season. But at the same time, like we discussed, I think we're expecting stat regression at the same time. What I'm really interested to follow is his takeaways. He led the team with 39 takeaways this season. Are we going to see that continue next year?
0: Yeah. And this is one thing. So I've seen a couple of people on Twitter say he should be nominated for the Selkie and, No, no, he's not. I'm sorry. No, he should not. But like it doesn't like it sucks because it's like when you say he shouldn't be one of the top three defensive forwards in the league. It's not taking away from his impact, but it's like it just he wasn't that good defensively. He was fine. You know, again, he's he kind of he reminds me of Nick Paul a lot in in like, you know, an older Nick Paul where it's like, you know, he's not going to do anything stupid while he's on the ice. Right. He might not. Yeah, and to this year he chipped in offensively. But going forward, he might not chip in offensively all that much. But you know you're not going to get, like, just this massive screw-up while he's on the ice. And there's a lot of value to have in those players. But, yeah, I, I've saw a couple times where it's like, should he be nominated for Selke? My personal opinion is no, he absolutely should not. But the takeaway stat is really cool that he's that high up because, you know, it, it feels like Ottawa always hit, you know, it was Mark Stone for the longest time. But Ottawa's always got someone up there, you know, leading in the takeaways. Um, let's go to the next one. I have uh, Drake. drake uh, We already did Drake Boston. Uh, th- okay. This is another fun one too. Evgeny Dadunov. Uh, I'm interested to get your thoughts on him. Uh, this is definitely, I feel like if I have to guess, it'll be um, disappointing to expectations, but I'm interested to see what, especially what your expectations were heading in.
1: Yep, so I think we pretty much had top six player who would contribute on the power play coming into the season when we signed Adanov, right? Like he was signed to be probably the best off-season signing that uh, Dorian did. He was expected to slide potentially right into the top line role and really help lead the power play like he did in Florida. Now, of course, apparently he didn't gel with our players as we saw. I think he finished the season with one power play goal,
0: was it? Yeah, something like that, yeah. (laughs) Or one power play point or something. Or point even, I think. bad, yeah.
1: So for me, I would probably be at a C minus. Now the thing granted, I will say when dad not played, I was never disappointed with him. He made a positive impact, like in the advanced stats, like he wasn't bringing down his line. It's just the points and goals weren't coming. Now, the eye test says he didn't look that great in the power play either. Maybe he just wasn't comfortable. Maybe something just didn't click this year. I think there is a very good chance you see a bounce back season next year. So I know a lot of people are hoping to lose him in the expansion draft. If it happened, I wouldn't be totally disappointed because that frees up $5 million. But at the same time, I think he is a perfect candidate to have a bounce back season next year.
0: Absolutely. I wouldn't personally, I wouldn't be exposing him in the expansion draft. I think there's um, worse players. You could probably lose than him. Um, I'm going to give him a C plus and the power play is the big reason why I think analytically, there's an argument that, you know, he really was, he was just more unlucky than anything else, you know, and um, definitely relative to expectations. If you, you know, I, I think it's just fair to have him as C minus, even a D if you wanted to for expectations, but I'm going to go C plus because I think at five on five, he still, you know, he wasn't bad by any means. I, I thought he got unlucky on the power play. I thought he got unlucky, but the fact of the matter is, you're supposed to be a power play specialist, a shooter. And it just, it looked bad on the power play. It just, it didn't look right. You know, like it's not like, it's not like he was getting his chances and not burying them. It just, it did not look good on the power play. And, and that's why, you know, I definitely, the highest I could give it is as a C plus, I think C minus C ish is fair. I just, he just wasn't very good, you know, uh, compared, like, compared to expectations and, Again, I definitely agree. I think next year that if you you see this team get a little more skill injected, just a little more puck luck too, I think he can be a 20-goal, a 45-point guy. And, you know, for 5000000 million, I'm not really complaining about that. It's just it depends what fans expected because if they expected him to be the guy he was with Barkov and Huberto, two of the best players in the league, well, that was just never realistic. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this year was definitely – I think it's fair to say it was uh, disappointing just from especially looking at the raw stats.
1: I think you could argue bumping up a grade, though, from the uh, 5-1 comeback.
0: Yes, absolutely. He was a huge part of that, and that alone (laughs) could give him an A, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, that's a very, very good point. Um, I think that's all the forwards we got, unless I am missing someone, anyone who's played over, you know, five or six games anyways. So let's switch to the defense here. Uh, Start with Thomas Chabot. The the, the minutes eater, uh, you know, did it all for this team. What, what did you give him, you know, a grade, expectations, uh, all that?
1: Oh, Shabbat's an interesting one. I'd have to go maybe a B plus. I think he had a quiet, good season, I would say. Like, here's a guy that's thrust, and obviously, into the number one defenseman role. And I think what happened was the team was so bad at the start that he took on way too much responsibility to try doing it all. Like, how many times did we see him turn over the puck trying to just – break out by himself or make some crazy pass. But as the season went on and the team got better, I think he started to get more comfortable letting some of the responsibility on his teammates. And I think we saw the same from DJ Smith as uh, his ice time started to drop. So I think a B plus, because he did, he did do exactly what's expected of him, right? Like he carried that defensive core, which was not very good to start the season. And I think it's hard to fault him for that. And he still put up, I think 23 points, like I think we're expecting higher point production next year and I think we will get it given we're going to probably have a much better team to start the season. So I think Shabbat's one of those guys, just like dadanov I think we're going to have a big bounce back gear from him next season.
0: Yeah. I, I was going to say B plus that kind of area. I, I think that's a very fair grading. Um, he was just uh, from a goals above replacement standpoint, he was just barely positive. But again, I blame a lot of that on usage. Uh, like I, I just, I can't believe how many minutes he played in such a meaningless season, too. Like and again, I totally I thought his best games were his 10 last ones before he got hurt. He just he looked way comfortable. He was playing closer to 24 minutes a night, where I think he should be instead of 28 every single night, especially in a a season like this one. You know, if you're pushing for the playoffs, absolutely throw that guy out 26, 27 minutes a night if you need him. But like it was just like it would be a random the 23rd game of the season when they are like nine points out of a playoff spot and it's like yeah let's go play him 28 minutes and it's like no 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 what are you doing um but yeah I, I definitely agree I think fans in general were down on the season and I've, I've had a lot of talk I've had a couple guests on here that really thought he hasn't done enough defensively and he has not been good defensively i I, I would think it's fair you know most metrics would say that but he's so good offensively it almost doesn't matter and um I, I definitely agree or right? I think he's gonna have another just if, if the expectations are low for him next year, he's going to crush them. Um, I, I didn't think he played that bad this year. I would give him a B, just kind of, you know, if you told me he was playing way too much and looked a little overwhelmed at times doing it, but, you know, looked good by the end of the year, that's kind of what I would expect, I, right? Like, I don't think that's that out of uh, out of line. So, um, yeah, I, I think B is definitely a, a fair grade to put on him. Or I think know, what's interesting people's. I
1: think what's interesting there too, though, is even an average season from him, I think really took away from his support for people wanting to make him captain right. Like if he comes out flying this season and is an all-star defenseman, do you think that more people would be on the side of giving Shabbat
0: the C? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I do think people just kind of flock to best players should get the sea, um, whether it is or not. And, you know, I, I try and I've always said I try and stay out of captain discussion as much as we can because if you're like if we're being honest like and you know again I've never played the game at a high level or anything the highest I played was rep, like single A rep for you know a couple of years and but you know from what I took away I, I don't think it's that much different all the way up is it doesn't matter who's got the captain that's just a letter there's a four or five guy group in that locker room that you know kind of you know control stuff right and. To me, it was like they could name any guy other than just like an obvious, like if they had just an obvious bad person on their team and we've seen them do bad stuff or whatever, that would be different. But you could name any guy in that locker room captain. And I probably wouldn't question it because it's about what happens in the room and who leads the team, right? So, you know, sometimes we see that on ice, but sometimes it might be behind the scenes stuff. And that's why it's like, I try not to get caught up in the captain discussion too much because it can honestly, by the end of it, it's just going round and round in circles on stuff that we might have no idea about, right? Um, let's go to the, okay. Uh, let's go to the next defense. I'm interested. I'm really interested to see what you have here because this might be my first D grade. I, I don't know if I can be that mean, but Nikita Zaitsev. Uh, <laughs> what were your thoughts on his season? So his is
1: really interesting because, like I said, I grade relative to my expectations, and I don't have high expectations of Zaitsev whatsoever. So I could even argue, given he's had some offensive production this season, surprisingly, for that alone, I might even be able to bump to a B plus. but I'll just give him a B. He pretty much did exactly what I expect of Zaitsev. Like, I think Twitter has explored the Zaitsev story enough, and everybody has their opinion of him. He's a B. Like, he met exactly what I expect of Zaitsev.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so... I'm torn on this one. So if I'm only looking at his actual season output, I honestly think I would give him a D, D plus. But much like Shabbat, and I gave him the benefit of the doubt for being used too much, Zaitsev is in that exact same boat where I don't think it's not his fault that the coach is asking him to play 24 minutes a night. And I think if he used Zaitsev in a third pair role, we would probably see much better much better output right and you know this whole idea that he was actually good this year by analytics was way overblown he looked good for eight games or so and then it's been normal uh, maybe a little better i'm gonna give him shoot i i'm gonna give him a c c or c plus because him shooting the puck more was nice i i will admit like and maybe it was, I don't even know if he shot more or just hit people more and went in, but like him, there was more times where I noticed that he was actively getting his head up, shooting the puck, and either we saw a couple snipes in the last week or two here of the season, or it would just hit a dude in the shoulder and bounce in. And and that's a good thing to have. I'll go see C-plus area.
1: I completely agree with that. Like you said, Zaitsev is overslotted. He shouldn't be a first-pairing defenseman. If this team truly wants to be competitive, you're probably looking at best-case scenario is your third pairing. And then, like you said, His contract is obviously an issue, but I don't think Sens are getting out of that easily.
0: No, I mean, I like, I honestly, I think the only way they get out of that is if he goes to Russia, and you know, they get lucky enough that it's terminated, or they can just send it to someone who needs the cap hit, right? But I, yeah, I think he's playing around, and you know, at this point, I just. To me, the cap is a sunk cost. You just kind of got to ignore that and hope that they put him in the best position to succeed, which they absolutely have not this year, but uh, that's a different story. Uh, this should be in the slam dunk thing, I think, too. Artem Zub, A-plus, in my opinion. I think we're going to probably talk more about the contract extension here than we are his season. To me, A, A-plus, whatever you want to give it. They, I, I wasn't sure he was going to be an NHL heading into the year. He was a legitimate top four guy and their best guy by far on the right side. Um, I don't don't have much more to say than
1: that. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like, coming into the season, I don't think any of us knew anything about Artem Zubo. It was just, oh, we signed a guy from the KHL in the offseason. Maybe he'll be a sixth defenseman at best. I don't think anybody had him pictured slotting in the top four or probably not even arguably, probably is your best right-hand defenseman. Like, did anybody see that? I don't think so. So I think it's got to be relative expectations, A-plus, like, no question about it.
0: Yeah, I'm absolutely right there with you. Um, What are your thoughts on the contract extension today? Two years, $2.5 million. Um, I'll I'll let you go first because, you know, I I thought it was great, but I I definitely think there's a couple holes to poke in it, maybe from a, you know, minor standpoint.
1: Yep. So, like, obviously we can see what happens when you give a long-term contract out after one good season, Zaitsev. (laughs) So I don't think Zub is like Zaitsev. I think just watching him play – His skill is just should carry over year to year. So I would have liked the Sens to gamble on like a four-year term, potentially maybe five, just because that gives you really up to his, I think he's 25 now, gives you up to close to his 30-year age. So that would have been nice. And Sens are obviously lacking on the right side in terms of prospects. You got JBD obviously pushing for a spot, but I think given where Ottawa's at, I think that would have been a good gamble to have a guy that could potentially be your first pairing defenseman locked in for a long term but at 2.5 million that's a fantastic cap for two years and then maybe some other pickups opportunities arise where i walk and get another right hand defenseman during that period of time or maybe your prospects really shine and you don't need them anymore so it's going to be interesting to see what happens when that second year is up
0: yeah so i would say um to me i I love the contract I, i think That's right about, I I think there is an argument to be made that you should have tried for four years, three years, that that area where you don't just walk on free agency. And I think that would be the only critique that you, like anyone can have of the contract because 2.5 for what he provided this year is an absolute steal. And if he plays like that next year, that's a a huge just steal. Even if he takes a slight step back, that is still good value. And, um, you know, the, the Zaitsev to to Zub thing, or Zub thing is always interesting because you don't, I, I definitely think that has a very good case study of why you don't give a six to eight year deal to a guy you've only seen one year of, uh, you know, generally speaking. But, um, you know, if you look at their seasons from their rookie season, Zub was a very plus player. Zaitsev, the only reason he was a positive player in his first year was because he had really good power play impact, which is funny enough, but all his power play numbers were very, very positive his defensive numbers were very negative in terms of an RAPM standpoint, but he was playing on a bad Toronto team. And it's kind of like the Austin Watson theory where it's like, someone's got to look good on a bad team. And that's what Nikita Zaitsev did. And he got paid a massive contract for it. It looks bad. Zub's numbers are not the same as Nikita Zaitsev's. You know, Zub is, we've seen that he's been good defensively. You know, the, the biggest issue is, you know, defensive Impact is hard to repeat year after year, but I just, I don't know. I don't think he's going to turn into Zaitsev, but at the same time, I have no problem with this contract because the absolute worst case scenario is he plays great again for two more years and, oh man, you have to pay him three more million dollars or whatever to be a stud on your right side. Like, oh, that, that really sucks. You know, having bad players is never a bad thing. So I, I just, I really love this contract. I thought that, you know, it was about as good as I just can't complain about it at all.
1: Yep, for sure. Like, now that you brought up, like, when the contract ends, if he plays like he does, he did this season and carries over the next two years, I think I agree, you're looking at probably like a four, four to five million range to extend him after that. And if he plays like this over that time, I'd be fine paying that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like, the, the one thing with him, too, is, you know, defensive results don't really get you paid in the NHL. We saw DeMello, yep. like, he probably should have got paid more than he did, but it's just he doesn't have the point totals. I don't think Zoo will either. So, you know, there's a good argument to be made that even if he continues this play, he might not be that much more expensive. So that um, is a very yeah. good point. <laughs> so I, I love the deal, loved his season. You know, uh, obviously he's been uh, um, quite the, the lightning rod on Twitter where everyone just kind of rallies around him. It, it's it's kind of hilarious, but uh, yeah, nothing but good good things to say about him. That's for sure. Um, let's go to the next guy, uh, Mike Riley. Yeah, let's go with Mike Riley. He played 40 games. We're going to give him... A B plus, I think. Uh, His underlying statistics were really, really good, especially at the end of the year, which is hilarious because I don't know if I've ever seen anyone do a 180 in the first 20 games of a season to the last 20 games of the season of the team like Mike Riley did. He legit, like fans wanted him scratch and for good reason at the start of the year in that first 10 games, like he looked as bad as like good Branson, Josh Brown. Like he looked like a part of the problem. And then you put Zubin with him and he suddenly just looked amazing. And honestly, in Boston, he's kind of continued that like really good second pair guy, but I would give a B plus to Mike Riley's overall season.
1: Yeah. Mike Riley's a really interesting one. Cause like you said, his underlying stats were phenomenal but I felt like he had the, uh, CC problem where every game he would do that one major gaffe. And that's kind of everything, everyone to concentrate on that and not the underlying play the rest of the game. So I would, given how I had very low expectations of him heading into the season, I grade relative to what I thought he would do. I would give him an A and he also nabbed us a third round pick, which I can't complain about.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, I, I don't really have a pushback on that. You know, it's, uh, considering he like when, when that trade happened, even the sign, I was like that, you know, he might be a fifth, sixth kind of guy. And the fact that he was more than that is awesome. And then, yeah, you get a mid round pick and um, <laughs> the CC stuff is a great comparison. I Graham Nichols on a couple, couple months ago now, you know, six then, And, and he had said, he was like, yeah, he'll just like, he's the exact CC type where it's like, he'll do, and he'll do more than CC did right in the little stuff, but he will just throw a grenade up the middle of the ice. And it's like, you get just the really good or the really bad. And there's no in-between with Mike Riley. And that's a pretty good uh, way to describe him But I mean, overall, I, it's when you look at what he brought just in terms of impact on the team, it's hard to be disappointed with, you know, what they got. Um, Eric and Pranson. All right. Uh, D, D-plus. Uh, this is going to probably be my only D-grade. I don't think I have – maybe Coburn as well. Let's do both of them at the same time. Good Branson, Coburn. Um, are you any higher – like, I, there's no expectations for them coming yep. into the year, but they still just did not play well. And, again, part of that is, like, what are they going to do? Say no when the coach tells them to go over the ice. But I, I'm going to say D, D-plus c-minus at best i think for me
1: so again i grade relative expectations and like stepan i had the lowest of expectations for good branson and coburn and they pretty much hit my lowest of expectations so i give them both a b yeah
0: i, I mean like if you're especially <laughs> if you're going from expectation it is exactly what you thought of this is bad and so you yep. know like I, I, i'm going from that where it's like i'm trying to you'll know, put play into and yeah they Again, like I'm sure they were great guys in the room or whatever. That's awesome. But you know, from an on ice perspective, whole oh boy. It oh, yeah. just it was it was not pretty to watch. And I, I don't think it's fully a coincidence that when they left, the team got infinitely better playing oh, yeah. better players, right?
1: Night so. and day, once our defense core became younger and faster and able to skate the puck out. Yeah. It's, it's a absolutely. new NHL.
0: Exactly. Right. You got to have some foot speed. There's nothing wrong with being a little gritty, getting physical, but you need to have puck work and foot speed to go with that, you know, on on top of it. So um, Eric Branstrom's the next guy. Again, this is probably a a lightning rod of a a guy here where it's like back and forth. um, You know, what were your thoughts on Eric Branstrom's season?
1: So I think Branstrom, when he first came in, I think we had really high hopes for him, but he was clearly a bit out of place in the NHL. Like how many puck battles did you see him lose or where he would just get toppled over or fall awkwardly or get hit awkwardly? Now, as his stints in the NHL 30 games this year went on, I found he started to get a lot more comfortable. Like in that last 10 game stretch, I can't even remember a time where he got hit awkwardly into the boards versus like the first 10 games. It felt like it was happening every game. So I definitely think he was a player that got a lot more comfortable, which is very optimistic heading into the next season. Given that, I think given he's obviously the Mark Stone return and how highly everybody speaks of him. I think even I had higher expectations of him when he started to make his NHL debut here this season. And so I would go probably uh, let's go for C plus because he did finish the year strong, but I think I was hoping for a little bit more at the same time. He doesn't have that much NHL experience. And I think, he's almost close to a B just because he was pretty much handling first pairing duties. I guess you could argue Metze was splitting that with him, but with Shabbat out that final stretch, he did not look out of place.
0: Yeah. I'm going to give him a B, B plus maybe even. Um, I, th- I tweeted the other day. I-, I feel bad for the guy because he could be a legitimate Number four guy who's just good on the power play and there's nothing wrong with that, but because he was traded for Mark Stone, it's always going to be looked on very negatively here, right? Like there's almost nothing he can do with the expectations or like, like even if he was a second or a number two, I feel like people would be disappointed because it's just like, yes, they lost the trade. And so, you know, I try to view as a sunk cost. Um, I, I think, you know, for a rookie season, if, you know, anyone else at 36 points or on pace for 36 points, sorry, over a full year, we'd be pretty happy with that as a defenseman. Um, and, and he posted pretty good underlying numbers. You know, he wasn't uh, destroying it or anything, but his goals for per 60 were great. Uh, his course he and coursey against per 60 were both positive. His expected goals were a little more negative, but, um, you know, I, I thought he played and agreed. Like I thought his the last 10 games were very telling. Um, I saw people on Twitter also were, uh, Saying that Shabbat, he like he's gonna be the next Shabbat because they had similar rookie seasons. I was like, all right, or twenty one year old season. I was like, oh, let's relax here. Like, yes, Shabbat's twenty one year old season wasn't good either, but he took such a gap, a, a leap that we have never, like, not never seen, but is so rare for any player to make that. Like, don't expect that from Brandstrom because you are going to be disappointed. But you know, that being said, I, I think you know the attorney. I, I think it's fair. If you're factoring in who he is, who he was traded for, to be disappointed. If uh, for me, if I'm just looking at this season, I think it was okay. Like you know, there, there was definitely signs of development, which is encouraging. So I would go that B B plus area.
1: Yeah, I think what's interesting to you about Branstrom is he's obviously touted as highly offensive defenseman, and we did see that in the HL. So last year he had 23 points in 27 games. This year he had five points in four games, so above a point per game pace. Granted, very small sample size. I think there is a the high potential given yet the memory. He's only 21 turning 22 in September. I think there's still a very good chance he could end up making that leap because we've seen in the AHL, can he translate that offense in the AHL, to the NHL? If he does, I think Sens fans will be really happy, but like you said, don't expect that, but I think we can be hopeful that it could
0: happen. Absolutely. And even if he doesn't make that leap, if he makes like half of that, that's still a really good player, you know, like half of Thomas Shabbat is still second line player and you are not complaining about that. So um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited. I hope they don't face him out or anything like that. Um, you know, I hope he gets a legitimate shot next year. Um, obviously Sanderson will be coming in eventually, but he should have a solid 60 games, 65 games or so to you know prove that he belongs here. I, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Um, Josh Brown's up next. Uh, this is another interesting one. I, I'm going to give him a C minus. Uh, I think you could probably go a little higher, considering there probably wasn't too much expectation for him coming in. He looked better, I thought, uh, near the end of the year, but he just he wasn't really good. You know, like he, he wasn't a, like he was bad at the start of the year. He wasn't actively horrible by the end of the year. I'm just going to go C minus, maybe a D plus. I, I didn't really love what I saw in Josh Brown.
1: Yeah. So I think when they traded for him, I think what a lot of fans probably looked at him is this guy's going to be your bottom pairing defenseman, Boro, Right. And obviously he was nowhere close to as good as Boro was last year. And I didn't have the highest expectations of him at the same time. I think he was still below a bottom pairing like performance wise. So I would be around there, probably like a C plus C. Like I still think I had higher expectations of him, especially given we have him for one more year. And I think at the center to be competitive next year, you have to have him as your seventh defenseman next year.
0: Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. You know, in Florida, he had some, some decent underlying metrics, but he was in just one of the most sheltered roles in the entire NHL. Like, they just – they did not put him in a bad position, right? So it's a, one of those things where it's like, okay, if you increase that even a little bit, does it fall off a cliff? And it didn't fall off a cliff, but it, it wasn't great. Um, last two defensemen I have on my list here, we'll kind of group together. Victor Mete, Crystal Molana. And, again, I think Mete could have probably been in the slam dunk as well. I'm going to give him an A. Just, you know, he was – Everything you expect is a third slash second pair defenseman off of waivers. Like just looked real good. He's still 22. He's still young. I, I'm really excited to see them go with Shabbat branch to Mete next year, because that's three left-handed defensemen I feel good in. And I don't remember the last time I said that about the Ottawa Senators.
1: Oh, fully agree. mete's is an easy A. Like when we got him, obviously Has fans were always pretty high on him and hopeful that he could become one of their regular defensemen, obviously size, when you see the size, the same size as Branstrom, you go, is this guy going to get pushed over? And I think to my biggest surprise is he does not play like a small player. I don't think I saw one instance in the eye test where he was being pushed off. Like he was tinier than the offensive forward. Like he knows how to do app control. He plays phenomenal. He's his skating is fantastic. Just watching him skate that puck up. Like this guy is the perfect player to be on your third pairing.
0: So easy. eh? Yeah. I totally agree with all that. And like the weirdest thing was when he came from Montreal, their biggest, complaint was that he got hit too much it's like oh well, and he does get hit sometimes but like he makes the play and gets a perfect up ice pass and then takes a hit it's like that's like you should be praising that normally no like that's something like that shows toughness of anything else like i was, I was always confused christian molannon's the other guy you know he only played played 15 games i'll give him a C minus. Like I, I didn't think, honestly, I thought he should have got more of a look just because of the priors, but he, when he did play, he didn't play real well. Again, part of that I think is because he was probably nervous, knew that he was going to get benched for making a mistake, but to say his, his season was good would be uh, a big stretch. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's an interesting one because I think he's one of the perfect examples of homegrown bias. And I was guilty of this too. We saw him at his best a couple of years ago when he first broke in the NHL and he looked phenomenal in that small stretch And obviously when you follow a player through your farm system, you're going to be more biased towards him than say a Mike Riley that you just brought in recently and you have no attachment to. So I think that's a big thing. Like Riley clearly outplayed him like early in the season. And once the, they got a couple of games each down their boat. So I would be right with you there. I'd probably give him a C, C minus. He definitely didn't play up to, I think his own expectations and whether or not that was nerves, like you mentioned, scared to make a mistake with Mike Riley pushing for the same spot or whether those injuries are just added up for him, hard to tell, but he clearly wasn't the same player that we saw early on in his career.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I hope he finds success, but just, you know, for, for the sends it just wasn't great. Um, another guy that kind of fits that mold this year, you know, they, they announced today they're walking away from Mark, Marcus Hoberg will switched to goaltending here. I'm giving Hoberg a D I, I, I don't want to do that, but it was just maybe even F. like his season was just atrocious. He had a couple games later where he looked, a little better, but it was just bad. I do hope he lands on his feet because, you know, seems like a good guy. There's some potential in there still, but just this year, it, it was ugly.
1: Yeah, he's a player I feel really bad for, but I'm right there with you. I'd probably give him a D because he did recover a bit to play at the end of the season. I think the unfortunate part for Hogberg is, obviously, he got injured and all these young goalies came up and just pushed him out of the lineup, but he really never got that long leash to play with the good lineup, right? Like, him and Murray got to platoon, a terrible lineup that started the season he was just the whether really he was a victim of that he did play bad granted but I would have liked to see what he could have done like with a stretch with the the post I guess trade deadline team so hopefully he gets to bounce back and maybe gets an NHL opportunity next year with another team but I feel bad for the guy but it just wasn't his year with Ottawa
0: absolutely you know the, the thing that always worried me the most was like sometimes you can see it's like, okay, this guy's trying his ass off. It's just not going his way. He was letting just beach balls hit from like everywhere. Like the dry cycle scored on him in the middle of the net. It was just like, okay, this just can't happen. But yeah, I feel bad for the guy. I hope he rebounds. Um, I don't need to talk about Anton Forsberg, but let's get into the court and Gustafsson real quick. Um, Let's start with Gustafsson again, a minus, I think is kind of where I would give him. I think he looks really good. Uh, I, I don't like, I'm not sold that he's the goalie of the future just because of how small of a sample size it was, but definitely encouraging for what we saw.
1: Yeah. So given expectations, Augustus and he obviously got outplayed by the core last year and lost his starter spot in the uh, Belleville Senators, but given it's a small sample size, but I would give him an A plus just because he was phenomenal during a stretch. Now, granted, I'm giving him an A plus, but I have zero expectation. He's going to carry over this performance in the next season. Like you look at his Belleville Sen stats and they are no, nowhere close to as good as his NHL stats, which is usually unheard of. I guess you could argue Andrew Hammond in the past, but I don't think we're going to see the same in next year in terms of an under two GAA.
0: Say Andrew Hammond's probably a pretty good example of why you should expect to lower uh, anything the next year, right? If that if that's the example that we're bringing up, which I, I think is fair, um, yeah, I, I thought he had a good season. I, I think that A plus is fair, you know, given relative expectations. He, he was a good goal. He was legitimately above average goalie, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, I would think that he. I, I hope he is the backup next year. I, I think him and Murray can work together. Um, uh, Decor, I'm, I'm actually going to give a B minus. I I don't really understand the hype behind DeCord this year. I think it was just because he wasn't so bad like Murray and Hoberg were to start the year. It's not like DeCord was actively awful or anything. He just like, he was average-ish. Like he, he didn't post a great save percentage. I think part of that is playing behind a bad team, but like even goal saved above ex, uh, above average from evolving hockey, he was a minus 1.4 in eight games. It's not like that is anything to write home about. It's not just absolutely horrible goaltending. So I would say B minus C plus area.
1: Yeah. So the cord is interesting. Like he came in was the best goalie of uh, Hogberg Murray, the cord when he came in. So that obviously got the Sens fans on his side. And like you said, his his actual goaltending stats aren't phenomenal in his stretch that he played here. So I would probably give him a B because he did exactly what you'd hope for your starting AHL goalie. He came in, didn't look out of place in the NHL. Obviously his personality off ice is fantastic. Now, just like Austin Watson, I would have loved to have seen what the core would look like with the post-trade deadline sentence, the better version of the team. Because, like uh, Hogberg, he got most—he got all of his games pretty much when the team was bad. Versus like Agustsson, he got most of his games when the team started to become good. I'm curious if the cord would have his numbers would have improved under the team in the latter half of the season.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think his save percentage especially probably would have because there was just sometimes he was just getting hung out to dry when he was starting a couple times there. Like, it was like, oh, my, I'm sorry, kid. Well, welcome to the show, right? But, um, yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I'm not, like, super down on the court, but it was – I I think some people lumped him in with how good of a season Gustafson had, and there was definitely a clear tear there. Um, let's get to the big guy, Matt Murray. I'll, I'll let you go first, uh, you know, especially relative to expectations. What expectations do you have? And, you know, I, I don't think it could be better than what the expectations were. So how much worse was it?
1: So I didn't have the highest expectations of Murray. As most advanced stats people would know, his stats in the last years of Penguins were not good. Right. Like he was a broken goalie. And there's a reason that Pittsburgh was willing to move him. Right. Like how often do you hear moving a young two cup winning goalie? Away before from 10, your team, six. yeah, exactly. exactly. Like yeah. you never hear that. Like there's a reason they did it because his number was like falling off a cliff, too, right? Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Like... So I didn't have the highest expectations of him. So given that, he could probably be in the F range. You could argue. So I'd probably give him. He did finish the season really strong. Granted, small sample size again before getting injured, and obviously now those injuries are a concern. Is that going to be a recurring thing with Murray? So. I think given his strong stretch at the end, I think that will bump me up to a C minus. He would have probably been in the D range before.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I would have him DD plus probably like that range. I think, you know, and, and unfortunately the injuries have to play into that too, because it's like anytime he started to look better, he just couldn't stay healthy. And you know, that to me, that, you know, takes away from a, a good season. Right. So um I would definitely have DD plus. The, the start of the year was so bad. I, I didn't love the trade. I didn't love the extension, uh, you know, but it, again, it is what it is. And, I just, I hope he can stay healthy because obviously I want him to do good. I'm not cheering against any Ottawa Senators player. Right. So it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like people get so caught up like, you want this guy to do bad. It's like, no, why, why would I want my favorite team to do bad? It, like if it was up to me, they would all be the best players in the <laughs> league. But yeah, it was just, it was a disappointing first year. And he would say that I think too, you know, like, I don't think, if you asked him candidly, there's no way he would be like, yeah, I played good this year and it's fair. I think hopefully it only goes up from here what the peak is, that's a bit of a different, different question, but you know, I'll give them a D for this year. Um, let's go on to management and coaching. And the last two I want to write down uh, let's start with, let's start with coaching. I think this is a little more of the interesting one. Uh, what would you give uh, DJ Smith this year?
1: So uh, DJ Smith was almost like a Jekyll and Hyde this season, right? We saw the really ugly DJ Smith early in the season where you play the vets over the kids. And then we saw DJ Smith running the kids at the end of the season. They played fantastic. Now this is where I really got hung up. There's a lot of arguments out there that if we didn't have these veterans to shelter the kids early on, the kids would have struggled out of the gate. Versus people that think the kids right out of the gate would have been just like they were at the end of the season. Now that's the the problem is we'll never know the answer to that. Maybe like I'm not saying like I can completely agree that maybe there is reasoning behind that Put, putting putting uh, vets in front of the kids early in the season led to their success. I'm not dismissing that. It could totally be plausible. But uh, I was personally on the side of just run the kids at the beginning. Now, like any NHL coach, I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find a coach who would play the young guys over a veteran to start the season. Very hard-pressed. So in that case, I don't think DJ Smith is like outside the norm in in there. Like, I think you're expecting that out of almost any NHL coach. So given the entire year, I think you're looking at uh, an A- because as much as I want him to play the young kids right out of the bat, I know no NHL coach would do that in general. So relative to his peers, he got this team playing fantastic hockey. Like every person who covered the Sens outside this outside of the team looks at our roster, looks at their roster and goes, we should crush this team. And then they lose the game, especially late in the season. How many teams were upset losing to us, ruining their playoff chances, ruining the chance with the uh, president's trophy, like the Leafs. Like he did a great job coaching his team to play good hockey.
0: Yeah. I think I would go B probably just like, I don't, I don't think he did a bad job. I, I, it's weird. Cause it's like, you would think if he's like, I don't see him being the coach to lead this team to much playoff success. You know, as weird as that sounds, I just, I think by the time, you know, they're ready for that, I think it'll be ready for someone new, but he's the perfect rebuilding coach where it's like, he seems like the players really like him. They like working for him, And that's what you really need. I definitely side with you where I don't think the the kids would have been as good, but I just don't think they, they would have caught on quicker than the, the veterans you know are bad and don't know what they're doing right and that that was always my biggest problem I I think there were the, there's some people who would probably easily give him a C or a D but I'm not going to do that because he's, he wasn't as stubborn you know we saw a couple times where he learned throughout the year and he would be someone who you know with the Kachuk line lines the best example I can give where it's like he didn't give them the disp- defensive responsibility to start the year and then after he's like oh yeah like they asked for more. They said they wanted more. I gave them a little more. They looked good. I was wrong. I'll keep doing that. Um, so I, I think there is something to that where we saw like a Mike Babcock where he learned from would have been too stubborn. Like, no, you guys aren't, you, you're not taking the defensive responsibility. But the other part hand of that is he still just kept repeatedly not giving the kids the responsibility, like, even when new guys came in. And again, you can argue you want to shelter them or whatever, but it's like, man, we've seen this story repeat itself five <laughs> different times, Where As soon as you let the young guys roll, like, they're good to go or whatever. So I, I don't know. I go back and forth. I think he was fine. Like good, good. I would say. So I, I put that in a, a B range, maybe a B minus just for like slamming the head on the wall on a couple things. But I don't think he was a horrible coach. I think he was a, a, a fine fit for this team.
1: I think you bring up a really good point there about his willingness to change, right? Like we saw a lot, a lack of that with Guy Boucher, I would say where his fourth line would always consist of players he was very familiar with. Whereas we saw this year, DJ Smith ran like Formenton, Zingle, and uh, whoever else he tossed on that line, which was fantastic to watch. But I think a perfect example too is uh, that first overtime we had, he put Stepan and Anisimov out for that overtime, and they just got skated circles around. And after that, he never put out the vets on the OTs ever again. So I think what we're going to see is next year when the team, with high expectations next year, how he coaches the team.
0: Yeah, next year will be the big telling point where it's like, is this the guy going for, I don't see him getting fired or anything next year, even if it was a disaster, but like by the end of next year, if they're still where they are this year, like there's going to be some questions starting to be asked, you know, and then you'll have to look on why they were this year with, or, you know, exactly. Like if it was coaching, was it save percentage roster management, whatever. Um, and, you know, that brings us into Pierre Dorian. Um, I, I wasn't sure. I'm interested to get how you graded him because you could include the off season, which I would say is worse, or you could do, just from game one to game 56, what was Pierre Dorian's grade? How did you grade him and what did he give him?
1: See, GMs are always tough, I find, especially since like a guy like Norris has landed in the first line spot. Now, my question is when he made that Carlson trade, did he have Norris pencil in and becoming a top line player? I highly doubtful that was his end result. Did he have San Jose crumbling and crashing to the bottom of the lineup where he gets Tim Stutzla that he can now slot in the top six? Like it feels like Dorian has lucked his way into a lot of trades that worked out, I guess. And with that luck, he hasn't been able to build on top of it. It was the unfortunate part, like not, you, not one of his off season signings, I would say was good this year. You could argue, right? Like Watson, I guess you could say was a good signing, but that doesn't move the needle that much relative to his other signings. So given that I would probably give him a, uh, I think you're looking at like a D plus, right? Like he didn't do any move. I think that made the team better. In fact, every move he made you could argue or the sum of the moves made the team worse now maybe murray back like bounces back next year and that will recover that signing but for this year alone i think you're looking at a d plus grade granted he did do some good trades at the tra- like at the trade deadline picking up zingle just before the trade deadline getting mete off of waivers picking up some good depth trading will away for clark bishop he did do those trades but I guess the Mete one you could argue moved the needle quite a bit getting that solid bottom pairing. So maybe I could bump my grade to a C minus just because of the Mete waiver pickup. But overall, his moves didn't make the team better this year.
0: Yeah, I think if you're looking at just from game one to 56, you could argue like a B minus ish because he had the Desingel trade that was really good. You know, get rid of Paquette and say he took away a lot of the toys basically. Traded Goodbranson, got stuff for Coburn, got stuff for Riley, and then claimed Mete. I thought all those were really good moves. But if we're bringing in the summer, it's a D. It's a D for me. Like it yeah, just and and the thing I'm worried about is that they they repeat the same thing this year. You know, I really I'm praying that they learn their lesson that bringing in Stepans and Goodbransons they don't help. You can bring in vet- you can bring in competition. I, I had Jamie McLennan on last week, and you know he talked about how important it was for internal competition. I totally agree, but that internal competition has to be good. And if they're not good, your coach can't choose to play them because that is a big issue. And that's why I think. I'll settle on a C minus D plus kind of area. I really, I hated Dorian's off season, you know, outside of the draft. (laughs) I I thought like, whatever, like, and even some people didn't love his draft right after three, but I am not a big enough draft guy to have any opinion on that, but just the signings that he made that I could have an opinion on. I hated it. I thought it was like just one of the most impactful off seasons they could have had. And then they really screwed it up at most turns, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, it's one of those things where he makes some really good moves and then he just makes some just, Mind bendingly bad moves, and it's like I guess that's like every GM, right? Like, I think yep. he's probably a below average GM, but like not that much more because you know he does oh, yeah. some good stuff, too, right?
1: And you see a it, lot of baffling moves across the NHL,
0: exactly. And it's hard to you know say what's him and what's the limitations that he has with no department, and also Eugene Melnick, who got in the oh, news yeah. again today. Welcome to <laughs> the Sens off season, uh, suing a yacht company, but uh, yeah, I don't know, I think Dorian. His in-season moves, I liked. His off-season moves, did not like at all. That's how I sum it up.
1: Yeah, it almost feels like we keep on pushing the uh, expectations a year ahead for Dorian. Every off-season, we're like, maybe this is the year he'll figure it out. And I think, really, this is his make-or-break off-season coming up, how he assembles the team going forward. Like, with a strong finish of the season, I think Sens fans had the expectation now that this team should be able to at least push for that wild-card spot next year.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think... Even if they don't make it, I, I don't think that's a bad, but like I want them to be at least in the hunt, you know, almost like they yep. were in this year, but th- this division was pretty weak, just you know, top to bottom. I like I think Toronto's a pretty good team. And it's not that Edmonton is bad or anything, but you know, like Edmonton, Winnipeg, Montreal are more in that 13 to 20 range than they are top 10 teams in the league. So um, you know, next year the division's gonna be way harder, but if they're even like in that, you know, 17 to 22 range where they're five points out of a playoff spot. I, I think that'll be a, a good season, quote unquote. And that's kind of what I'm hoping for anyways. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Kevin. You know, uh, this was honestly a lot of fun. Uh, and this is something I want to do again, for sure. Um, uh, plug some stuff, you know, where can people find you? A- anything you want to promote, really.
1: Oh, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Bring Back Lily. It was great being on, great chatting and definitely looking forward to chatting more maybe this off
0: season if we have any big moves. Yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely have to have you on down the road when there's more to talk about and uh, have, have a great weekend. Yep, you too. Enjoy. Huge thanks to Kevin for joining me. That was a lot of fun. Uh, something I really want to do again, you know, next year and maybe even twice next year, you know, halfway. The the, the midpoint grades and the end of year grades maybe is something I can do. But uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Thank you to Kevin for joining me as always. And thank you to everyone for all the support this year. It's been a lot of fun. Um it's been a lot of fun to get to talk to a whole bunch of new people and analyze, you know, the games. And I feel like, you know, with this podcast, I'm I'm watching more closely than I ever have before as well. Trying to, you know, think of stuff to talk about and just, you know, um, you know what I'm seeing so I can express that here too. So thank you everyone for downloading, for listening, liking, sharing. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Last on Sends, me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Uh, I've mentioned a couple times, you know, the content will... Keep rolling through the offseason here, probably well into the draft, and, you know, the offseason will give us, a, the free agency will give us some stuff to talk about. Um, and then, you know, as we get into the summer, it might go closer to every other week or every third week as there's, you know, a little less to talk about. But uh, my plans for now is a little bit of playoff talk maybe, but if you want to hear playoff talk, um, that'll be way more on my other podcasts, the MNM Hockey Podcast I do with Chase McCallum. You can find that anywhere you listen to this one. Um, so th- that'll be a lot where my playoff talk is. But my, I think my plan here over the next uh, six weeks or so is going to be having a guest on from each of the six different teams Um, and, you know, dissecting Ottawa's season, their season, you know, just kind of everything, um, you know, the season series and just the expectations and stuff. Kind of like the previews I did with the team and, you know, look back on it. So uh, I think I will start uh, Vancouver and Calgary once their uh, season finally wraps up. It's hard to believe that it's still going and then hopefully by the time those two weeks are over, I, I can get to or those two episodes are done, I can get to Um, um, the two teams that get eliminated in the playoffs here, and then we'll go from there and see where that takes us. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, want to say thank you to everyone for all the support and, uh, thank you for the continued listening. I'm not going to go anywhere for the summer, but, um, yeah, it'll definitely be a little bit different with no no games to talk about for a couple months now. But hopefully, hopefully there's enough content to keep us through. And I know, like many, I'm already missing Sense Games, but, uh, Highly recommend watching as much of the playoff hockey as you can. It's really good stuff. Currently, as I'm recording, I got Tampa and Florida on, and this has been just an absolutely wild game. So I hope everyone has a great week. I'll talk to you all next week.